Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The very first uh, witness to come actually on the stand was her son James, who is now 65, but at the time was only 23 years of age when his mother went missing. And he reported her missing at the Garda station in, in Togar on the 9th of June, so three days after she had gone missing. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The trial of No Long for the murder of Nora Sheehan in 1981 is entering its final phase this week when the prosecution and the defence give their closing speeches to the jury. Long has pleaded not guilty to the cold case murder of the 54-year-old mother from Ballyfehan in County Cork 42 years ago. Today, I'm talking with Crime World's Claude Amini about the latest evidence in the trial. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. The ongoing case, uh, the trial of Noel Long for the murder of Nora Sheehan. You were down there today, Clodagh. What happened? So today we heard evidence from former state pathologist, Dr. Mary Cassidy, who many of us will be familiar with. Mm. Um, she was a state pathologist from 2004 until she retired in 2018. So. What happened in this case was the original um, pathologist who conducted the post-mortem on the body of Nora Sheehan passed away in August of 1981, so just two months after Nora's death. Um, now, he had written a report, um, in, you know, a post-mortem report about, the, you know, the, what he's seen on the body, the injuries he observed, you know, outside and inside the body. Um, kind of, you know, with these typical reports, they describe the person, you know, the height, mm-hmm. their, you know, various observations. Um, and they record that in both a report um, in photographs and in what are called body sketches. So it's kind of like that outline of body and, you know, they have arrows and, and various um, things pointing to where on the body they've seen um, different injuries or, or bruises or cuts or whatever it might be. So he didn't actually sign that report before he died. And... What happened then was Dr. Harbison did another report who was the state pathologist um, 
after Dr. Coakley, now Dr. Coakley wasn't actually ever a state pathologist. He was just a pathologist in a hospital. There is a difference between, obviously the forensic pathologist is called out when there is, you know, suspicion, suspicious mm. about the circumstances of a death. Um, particularly in this case where there's obviously an unnatural death. You can see by the body that that's on somebody who died naturally. You know, she was found on the side of a road. Um, she was partially naked. She had a, she had a dress pulled up over her head and her, she, you know, she was naked other than um, a pair of tights that were kind of just down on one foot. So today, Dr. Cassidy um, summarized... Called by the defense. She was called by the defense, which was surprising. Um, she summarized the report that she wrote for the series crime review, te- review team back in 2010. Now, she did two reports. Her first one was kind of working on those, on the report that was unsigned by Dr. Coakley, um, the photographs that he had taken of um, the body in situ at the crime scene, but also from the morgue. Um, and as well as that, she was able to use those body sketches um, to kind of work through those with, a, you know, the forensic mind and try and come to a conclusion about how Miss Sheehan had died because there was no kind of conclusion given by Dr. Coakley. Um, so she was called by the defence who essentially wanted to prove or show, and you know, it, it is their job to do so, um, to show that there was no cause of death really um, determined by Dr. Um, Cassidy or by any pathologist in the case. However, she did kind of go into some different hypotheses um, when cross-examined by the prosecution about how Miss Sheehan may have died. Um, so she basically you know, she exa- like I said, she examined those uh, those materials and she came up with her own report. So in that report, um, she spoke about the findings from Dr. Coakley, which were that um, when he got to the scene, now he visited the scene on the 12th, which is the day she was found in the evening um, and kind of did a, an examination of the body where it was and then returned the next day to um, kind of oversee the removal of the body to the hospital for post-mortem, which Dr. Cassidy says is a very standard procedure. Um, so he initially observed that her head was covered by clothing and the rest of her body was naked with tights on the right foot. So that's that dress I said. Mm. Now that dress was, un- it had a zip on the back and that zip was still in place. And the neck of the dress was kind of pulled up over her, her kind of around her mouth. And it was actually pulled up so tightly it had caused bruising nice. around her mouth. Sorry, Dr. Coakley observed that the body was cold. There was flies there was eggs and maggots which would suggest that the scene she had lain there for a number of days there was rodent damage which was heartbreaking to have to hear in the presence of the family you know he he also said that um there was a small blood stain in the lower part of her nose kind of when he when he went through the um autopsy he knew that there was a small blood stain uh and some mucus in the lower part of her nose. Her upper lip was bruised and swollen and her lower lip was pale. Her head and neck was Head, neck, and upper shoulder was a dirty red color. Her nose is bruised. She's bruising on both her cheeks. Um, she had what was described as a triangular area of pallor between her nose and mouth. Um, her gums and mouth were also bruised. Um, she had a strap bruise running from the left of her mouth along her lower jaw. Um, she had bone exposed on her chin from the rodents. Um, there was bruising under and behind an ear. There was you know, lots of bruising. There were small hemorrhages on the skin at the base of her neck, superficial scratches on her shoulders, so on her back and on her buttocks. Um, and again, we heard that she was found with her dress kind of up over her head. So these um, scratches, uh, Dr. Cassidy concluded, would be because the body was dragged at some point. There was bruising at the back of the legs as well. Um, you know, there was various 
bruises on her upper arms, scratches. Um, there was also bruising on her spinal column and bruising on the anterior wall of her vagina, which we heard. And also there was spermatosa fi- found in her vagina. So the state's case was that she was murdered. And when asked about asphyxiation, she said that there was no evidence of asphyxiation on the body because it usually causes petechial hemorrhaging, which is, if you can imagine, it's like small blood vessels that burst in your eyes. So think when you have an, like a really bad cough and you can almost mm-hmm. feel like your eyes are bursting out of your head. It's that sort of, because um, it's from the pressure of not being able to breathe and and your, you know, the the, the lungs being cut off from air. Um, there was none of that. Um, but she did say that because of the bruising on the mouth and the, and the kind of that area, she concluded that it was possible that she had been you know, that oxygen, had, she, well, she couldn't conclude exactly the cause of death. She did suggest that it was possible that she was smothered by either her head being pressed into a pillow or a mattress or something of that nature or hands being placed over her mouth. Okay. Um, there was bruising on her face. She did notice as well, note as well that there was no internal trauma. So while there was evidence on the body that there was um, some force, degree of force that may have been caused by an assault. Um, there wasn't sufficient enough damage, I suppose, to cause any much interior, interior damage to the body. And all that evidence from Dr. Cassidy is her interpretation, or rather her professional interpretation, yes. of the original report. Absolutely. So we're all basing, everything has been based on what's in the original report because she's coming to this case 30 years later, yeah? Well, yeah, at yeah. this point it was was 30 years later. Um, so again, and she hasn't seen the body, so she had to go on what she's seen in the report mm. and her professional opinion and her years and years of experience mm. in what she sees in different cases and, you know, different causes of death. Um, you know, there was no, while she noted there was no detailed evidence of the description of her heart, um, she couldn't exclude that she suffered a heart attack due to the arrhythmia or um, something of that nature. Um, there was no evidence of blocked arteries either. So, you know, obviously, you know, there was no evidence that she'd been shot or stabbed either. Um, and all these questions were put to her. All these questions were put to her um, during the course of the defence asking questions and the course of then the prosecution yeah. cross-examining because they also have... Um, an opportunity to ask whatever whatever questions they want. So um, she's the last witness. She is the last witness in the case. Right. Yes, um, we are. The case went into a little bit of legal argument, um, which meant that the jury were sent home. We are returning to the courtroom tomorrow, where it is expected that the closing arguments will get underway. Yeah. The closing statements. And just to go back a little bit, and we haven't spoken, you've been covering this case, you've been down covering it, but we haven't had a chance to catch up on it. But just to kind of go back to what this case is all about. And I think, you know, in his opening speech, Brendan Grehan, senior counsel, um, described her a little bit and described this case a little bit. Yeah, so Brendan Grehan, who is... Uh, senior counsel for the prosecution, um, opened the case where he outlined the facts of what the jury were going to hear, who, what evidence they were going to hear and what witnesses they were going to hear from on the stand. Um, so he said that on the night of June 6th, 1981, Nora Sheehan had gone missing. Um, she lived with her husband and her sons. Um, now, Mrs. Sheehan had previously worked in a hospital um, where she had, she had suffered some sort of fall. It wasn't really kind of determined what the fall was and she had some sort of ill health. Uh, and they said, quote, 
whether arising from that or otherwise the fall. Um, he said that the jury would hear from many witnesses who had seen Miss Sheehan around the time of her death. Um, he also said that she had developed some, quote, eccentricities and had some obsessions about the nearby hospital and as a result of that she was often seen out on the roads near her home and on public streets attempting to wave down cars um, to talk to people about the perceived goings on um, at the hospital which she was concerned about and he said that she would be described kind of in, in modern words as a vulnerable person detailing the evidence that would be heard he said that she had suffered a dog bite on her arm. So she separated two dogs that were fighting um, near her home that on that day, that day, during yeah. that day. And because of that um, bite in her arm, she had to go to the hospital where, you know, a nurse dressed the wound and they gave her a tetanus shot. Um, and she, the, the nurse who see, sought her that day um, gave evidence to say that she had been in the hospital. She was very thankful. She wanted to leave money in the donation box. You know, she seemed fine. She went about her way. And that was around nine or 10 o'clock that night. Another person we heard from was the very first uh, witness to come actually on the stand was her son, James, who is now 65, but at the time was only 23 years of age when his mother went missing. And he reported her missing at the Garda station in, in Togar on the 9th of June. So three days after she had gone missing, she, he had been called, you know, his he, somebody had called into to his work and tell him that his dad was looking for him. So he had to go home, obviously back then, no mobile phones. Yeah. Um, and he again clarified that his mom had worked in a psychiatric hospital and had suffered a fall there, but couldn't remember what part of her exactly was injured. Um, and he again elaborated the fact that his mother was, you know, a bit eccentric. So this is obviously the prosecution wanting to, you know, emphasize or kind of lay out the facts that this was a very vulnerable person. Mm -hmm. That was definitely, I mean, highlighted during the prosecution case that she was a vulnerable mm -hmm. person. And we'd later go on to hear how she was seen on the road, almost wandering later yeah. that night when she disappeared. Um, this is a cold case. And, you know, I think the age of some of the witnesses has been intriguing, uh, along with the evidence, which, of course, the evidence on this case, and we have spoken about it before, is very much heavily leaning on DNA and forensic mm. evidence. Um, but one of the, the Garda sergeants that would have been on the the case at the time, all the way back in 1981, was a man called John B. O'Sullivan. An 83-year-old got into the stand and he gave some evidence, which I suppose gave us not only, um, you know, what he could recall of that night and what happened, but also a little look back into a kind of a quainter, maybe Ireland, when um, yeah. his wife went with him to the crime Absolutely. scene. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, like you said, this case happened in 1981. It is from what I believe to be probably the oldest case we prosecuted by, oldest murder case we prosecuted in the state. To date, is it? To date. Yeah. Um, and it does, it kind of, the fact that this guard was actually living at the, I know, I'm sure it happens still in some small, as you would call them, one horse towns down the country. <laughs> I didn't um, ever call anywhere one horse town. I, I was burnt before on that. <laughs> I would say there are still guards living in um, in the stations. But yeah, he was, he's now 83. Um and he went on the stand and he said, you know, that two men who were forestry workers arrived at the Garda station in, in a Shannon in a tractor at about three o'clock on June 12th. And they said that they were forestry workers and they wanted to make a report about something that didn't look too good at all. Now, they originally said they thought that it, they had found a deceased pig, but then they realized that it was actually a body. Mm. So when they get to the, to the station, um, you know, he heads off 
I believe, in his car with his wife and the two forestry workers to bring them to show him where the body is. But the reason he brought his wife, of course, was because he had said that he needed somebody, if he had to stay and secure the scene, obviously, if this was a, a deceased body, he couldn't just leave it and go back and find help um, himself. He he had to, you know, stay there. So He's the only guy in the station. The only guy in the station. So the idea was his wife would drive back with the forestry workers um, and she'd be able to contact, you know, a superintendent or, you know, somebody higher up because it was such a small station that yeah. probably didn't really deal with any murders. Um, and, you know, even at then probably didn't even deal with that many deceased bodies. Like even if it wasn't, you know, if it's somebody just had a heart wasn't attack. anything like, you know, the, the, the um, cases today, but mm. they pulled up two and a half miles away, I think he said, at Shiphall Woods beside the Bandon River and it was there that is the crime scene that yeah. we're talking about in this trial. Um, I think he said the body wasn't visible from the road, but he could see a navy coat lying in the briars. And about 20 yards in from the road, he discovered the body of Nora. Yeah, so there was a kind of a, a steep slope down to the river. And he did note as well um, that he had to use a hurley to beat, that he had just happened to have in the, in the boot of his car, um, to beat away the, the blue bottles so that he could actually get in and see the body. And again, those briars that you mentioned, you know, that forms part of what Dr. Cassidy was saying about the scratches on the back, the superficial scratches, meaning that she believes that the body was was dragged. Um, but yeah, he said, you know, he noted that the body, he was the first, you know, first kind of responder almost on the scene, you know, from from a from that point of view. Um, so he had noted that it looked like her clothes are partially pulled off and you could see her tights at the end of one of her foot, one of her feet. And he also noted that bandage that she had um, from her um, injury with the dog. And he also said there was a cut to her neck and there was blood, but it didn't seem to be congealed. And he also said that there, he noted some of the scrape marks on her torso. Um, so at that point then, his wife went away to contact Gardy and Bandon to tell them he, what was He found. was right to bring his wife, yeah. according to his evidence. He Absolutely. stayed indeed to secure the scene and sent her back to kind of raise the alert. Yeah, yeah. So this is obviously something, again, back then, no mobile phones, no way of contact, mm-hmm. and he would have had to fax or call a landline. Um, so yeah, he noted that the top had been knocked off some of the grass that was growing on the side of the road. Now, there was a low stone wall as well. Um, and there was only kind of a narrow verge for a car to pull in on the side of the river. Um, and he also said that on the other side, there was kind of a bit of a wider area. Um, but the coat was something that was kind of, it was a coat and a, pair and a shoe, I believe, mm-hmm. that were kind of trailed down almost towards the river. So now, as the case has come to its conclusion, we will hear the closing arguments of the state. They will lay out their case as they have done over the course. They will kind of, I suppose, for the jury, they will, you know, go back over all the evidence they've heard and point out what the state believes to be significant Mm -hmm. as part of their case. And then it will be up to the defence to give their closing speech and they will do Likewise, but in their case, they will challenge, you know, of course, murder. If somebody's found guilty of murder, it is beyond reasonable doubt. It's the most serious charge that anybody can face in this state. So a jury have to be convinced of the guilt and that the prosecution have proved their case beyond reasonable doubt. Um, And usually then the judge will address the jury and will, before he sends them off to start their deliberations. Mm -hmm. So, um, Look, how long is a piece of string? You never know how long a jury will go out for, how long these closing speeches. But there's a a chance that we could 
see a conclusion to this case by either at the end of this week or possibly earlier, mm. early next week. Um, and Noel, uh, Noel Long, who has denied murdering Nora Sheehan, will know the outcome of the case. Absolutely. I mean, they're going away to consider. While circumstantial, there, are, there is some circumstantial evidence and that, you know, which is obviously evidence, but that is kind of around the these um, eccentricities that uh, Miss Nora Sheehan had, kind of around um, stuff like that. But there is a lot of forensic Mm-hmm. Um, evidence. They have a lot of forensic and DNA. Yeah, so they have, they have, you know, they have paint, paint scrapings that were found on Miss Sheehan's body that were, all, you know, matched to No Long's car. Um, they have No Long's sperm was found. Uh, well, it was a partial match to No Long, the sperm that was found inside her vagina. Um, and yeah, they, so they have that to consider as well, which... Mm, absolutely. Well, thanks a million, Clodagh. Thank you. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.